kid, I got to be around some really great people. And uh, I can remember as a kid and in my teens getting to meet John Kolb. Uh, I was, first of all, impressed with how in shape he is. Uh, I was at a camp where he was in shorts and a t-shirt and teaching football. And uh, I had never seen somebody that was at his age that was as in as good a shape. And I remember this stood out to me. I remember I was working a ropes course up there. And uh, we had a, at that ropes course a swing. So it was a cable that hung down that you got clipped into and pulled. And I remember uh, you were there at camp. And we hooked him in, and he started to flip upside down. He wasn't just going to do it. He wanted to do it upside down. And I thought, I like this guy. Of course, it was the wrong kind of harness, so we had to have him flip over after the initial drop. But still, um, but I also remember um, it, the character of John Kolb and the way his faith was important to him, um, not just a little part of his life, but central. And I remember the impact that had on me. Because at the time, I'm not sure that was totally true for me. It took a little while for that to really start to become more and more true for me. Um, so that had an impact on me. And I, uh, uh, as I've been a pastor, I've always said I wanted to have him come and uh, preach. So if you came just thinking you were going to hear football stories, uh, that's not quite what you're going to get. John is going to bring the word this morning. And uh, so I'm thankful for you to be Thank here. You. And I'll give you this and get out of your way. It's on. Ready to go. Thank you for that uh, warm welcome uh, this morning. I, I've never walked into church and somebody starts taking a picture of you. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was kind of cool. Uh, it, and it is neat. I, I raised, I grew up in a little bitty town in Oklahoma, both city limit signs are on the same post. So it's not very good. And uh, one of the first things I wanted to do when I was not playing ball any longer, not coaching any longer, is I have three sons, and I wanted to raise them in a small town like this. And so I was able to find a job up in the, uh, Mercer County. So my sons went to Grove City High School, which is not that far from here. It's only about 30 miles from me right here this morning. But, uh, and I, I remember very distinctly the uh, rope swing and that kind of stuff, at having boys, and I, there's three things, this is not on my notes, I don't know why I'm going here, but there's three things I have not, I've learned that will work if you follow the directions. One is golf. I can do exactly what they say and the ball will not go where it's supposed to. The second thing, you know, that is computer. I can do exactly what you tell me, and it's still, I'll just give a circle going around. The third one, I can do exactly what my wife has asked me to do, and I, it still won't work out exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I guess that with that kind of leading in to what I wanted to share with you this morning is, uh, you know, not being a pastor, the things that I really have to share are really what I'm learning. And I say in the process of learning. Uh, and, and again, for me, this process go, goes over a period of time. I would have to say it's kind of ongoing. And uh, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I do it all the time. Have you ever discovered something that you really already knew? You know, I mean, but somehow I think what I'm trying to say is you knew it in your head, but you hadn't really moved it to your heart. 
Because you can have all kinds of information in your head, but until you really grab it and put it in your heart, until you really own it, you, you maybe you don't understand it. I think that's one reason the Bible talks about knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Why doesn't it just say knowledge? Okay. Why doesn't it just say wisdom? But understanding, to really move it from your head to your heart. And, and so, uh, for me, that's kind of the subject of what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, and the process of this started quite a while back. Now, I guess about two and a half years ago. And, uh, and it's just been kind of percolating. And I remember the first time I really began to take this thought seriously was I started teaching a class at Butler Community College, not far from here. And uh, it's a health science class. And so when they called about health science, I thought, oh boy, I didn't like that in junior high when I had to take it, so now I'm going to be teaching this stuff. But uh, anyway, so uh, I decided that I would have my students write a term paper that would be due at the end of the semester. And I gave them the freedom to talk about anything they wanted to, as long as it related essentially to our health. So I had 28 students. And when I got the papers, the subject matter just blew me away. Out of the 28 students, 14 of my students either wrote about suicide, domestic violence, or drug addictions. Over half my class took pick those three topics. That wouldn't be what would have been, I mean, that was not on my mind. Uh, and so I began to think, wow, is this what young people and the world is really growing up with? Am I really in this world? And that's when I think I really began to notice and, and let it kind of sink in the things that were happening and have happened, what, in the last week or so at Washington, D.C. And I can go through that list we can go backwards from there. And I begin to think, why is this happening? And I and watch the TV, and you hear the debates on why it's happening. And kind of what's moved from my head to my heart is nobody really has it right in terms of the experts that are talking about it. I'm convinced. And, and what really was kind of the next step in the process for me is one of my favorite psalms is uh, Psalm 18, because it's a great kind of a praise psalm, but <clears throat> David is saying, I love the Lord, my strength. And as you were talking about, strength is something that I've always been kind of fascinated with. My dad is this big. He worked in the oil fields when I was a kid, and he used to go up and do handstands on the top of the derrick. I mean, he just, I mean, so I have pictures of that, and, and uh, so from a little, being a little boy, strength, that was kind of a cool thing. And then this psalm starts out, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. That word was one of the songs that we sang up there, if you remember this morning. Uh, uh, this, this God being my rock. And then David goes on in this song, and he talks about how evil is coming upon him and how he's terrified by this ungodliness. And then the thing that really kind of moved it, and when it happened, the process kind of went boom, boom, right here, is he makes his statement. He says, God bowed the heavens and came down with thick darkness under his feet. Okay. Now, I could read something like that a hundred times and just move right on. 
But that particular time when he said thick darkness under his feet, that word darkness just kind of, you know, just kind of started staying there. The word darkness. And I begin to think, darkness, how many times does the Bible use the word darkness? And if you think about it, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created. And then that was, that's the first verse. The second verse says, and everything was dark. And then as I read the third verse, I thought, this is pretty interesting. What are the first words that God speaks in the Bible? Let there be light. Let there be light. Because there is no light. There was just nothing but darkness. And then as I begin to kind of look and, and think about this, you know, what we have here is God says there's darkness and there's light. And he gives us a choice. What we want to live, where do you, what do you want to live in? Do you want to live in darkness or do you want to live in light? And the world is choosing what? The world is choosing darkness. You're right. And what comes with darkness? Anger? Greed? Did you say that? Yes. Frustration? Pride? Evil? Empty? Emptiness? Those things are what comes with darkness. What comes with light? Joy? Peace? Fulfillment? Respect? Freedom? You know, freedom is a word that doesn't even seem important to us anymore. Jesus said then that I have come and I am the light of the world. And he says, I have come that you may have light. And he who follows me lives in the light. God is light and in him there is no darkness. And in Acts he tells us to turn from the light or turn to the light. So I begin to think about kind of, okay, what, what is the process here? And, and then being a football player, you know, we don't go past three. So, so I think there's kind of three things. One is really understanding who God says he is. Who he says he is. What, in, in kind of in that, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. One of my favorite verses is, is he says the process of this, Isaiah 40, 12, it says this simply. I look at my hand. Look at your hand. Isaiah 40.12, it says, God stretched the universe out in this family's hand. Wow, that's, that's pretty good. See, again, this is something that you can just read. But then if you don't sit there and, and David talks about meditation. Why, you know, was God, David a man after God's heart? I think one of the reasons is that word meditation. Because you can go out, sit on the horse there, and look at your hand and say, what does that really mean? I'll give you an idea. I, I started thinking about that, and I tried to really get a feeling for it. And, and what I found out is there's this professor, this is what professors do. He, at the University of Wisconsin, he figured this out, that you could, if you took the earth and you shrank it down to the size of a quarter, the moon would be the size of a pea and they would be 27 inches apart. Okay, so now that's a scale that I can kind of manage. The Earth and the Moon, 27 inches apart, versus the side of the quarter. Okay, 
But then what he said, doing continuing with the math, the farthest planet is Pluto. On that scale, where would Pluto be? Nine miles down the road. So now I'm having trouble managing it again, because 27 inches, I can look at both of those at the same time. But Pluto, and we're still in the solar system. And then he further did the math. The, the closest star is called Alpha Centurions. And it's four and a half light years away. So four and a half light years doesn't sound pretty easy to say. How far would four and a half light years be if the Earth and the Moon are 27 inches apart? It would be 45,000 miles away. That's the first star that's four and a half light years away. I pray that we have some no clouds tonight. And you go outside and look at the stars because scientists say that we can see stars 1,500 light years away. That's four, you know, like, like a lot 400 times more away than Alpha Centurions. So then if you want to know how far those stars would be, multiply 45,000 times 400, and you still have the Earth and the Moon. 27 inches apart. Wow. And God says, I'm the light of the world. I'm a big God. Wow. That is awesome. See, I think that's the first thing that we have to understand in coming to terms with how come Christians, then the real question is this, how come we're not making a difference? If we have a God that's rescued you for something spanning his head, and he's that awesome, how come we're not making a difference? See, that's me. That's what the real issue is. How come we aren't being the light? First off, I think we don't understand who our God is. And that's just one way that we can consider who God is. Look at my hand. One thing that you may see me down on the street sometimes going like that. That's because I said, well, I don't want to forget this. I want to make sure I understand before I take this on. Who, who really does. Number two, what I need to understand is who I am. And there's a story that explains that to me very succinctly in Luke chapter 15. And it's not about horses, it's about pigs. And I don't like that story. And our pastor, when I was growing up, used to preach that all the time. And the reason I didn't like it is because I had to feed pigs before I went to school anymore. <laughs> And what it's about is that Jesus is telling us the Jewish people who don't eat pork. They don't eat pork. And this young man says essentially to his dad, I don't need you. I can take care of myself. And so what he does is he says, he says but, he says, it's kind of interesting too, I'm not just going to take care of myself. Before I start doing that, you give me everything I have coming to me. I want my entitlements and other and then I will take care of myself. But you know the story, he doesn't take care of himself. He ends up blowing it. And he blows it so bad that he ends up feeding pigs. In fact, he blows it so bad he ends up eating with the pigs. Now, has anybody here ever fed pigs? Has anybody here ever eaten with pigs? See, that's another thing that you can just read that that it was eaten with pigs. You can read it and then you move on. But what you have to do, really, is consider that. Because, see, first off, when you consider that, one thing that is important is your horses stand in front of the trough. 
pigs stand in the trough. So anything in the pig pen gets in the trough. So if you want to eat with the pigs, what you have to do is you would have to take, pigs have this bristly head. You can make a brush out. It's real bristly. You would have to, you would have, we're not eating that today, so we're just having I didn't write it. Luke chapter 15. You can look it up. But, but pigs have this bristly head. And there would be manure in that pig pen. And there would be rocks and mud. And all of that would be getting into the pig trough. And then they, because they stand in there to eat. And that young man was eating with the pigs. That's what he was eating. And so Jesus is painting a picture of a man that had gotten as low as you can possibly get. I mean, can you think of a lower picture that you can paint of something? And, the, and then the most amazing thing is this, that the, the, the young man says, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to ask my dad if he'll take me back, not as a son, but as a hired servant. See, that gives the father three choices when you think about it. What would those choices be? He could say, no, you hit the road, Dad. Go back to the big pen. That would be justice. That would be justice. He could say, okay, put your stuff in the bunk pen. You could be a hired servant. That would be the second choice. That would be to have mercy on him. But what God does is he restores him as a son. He gives him the third choice. He restores him as a son. And not only that, the most amazing thing to me, to that, and I have three sons, and I think about this all the time, is that the dad is looking for the son. He's out there. He sees the son coming at a distance. So I don't have to be a rocket scientist. I have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that 27-inch thing. But now that I've got that down, I've spent some time. What's, what's going on? Here's what's going on. The one that stretched the universe out in the span of his hand has taken me out of the big thing. That is an amazing, that's the most amazing thought I can think of. The one that, the, what a contrast. The one that stretched the universe out in the span of his hand has taken me out of the big thing. Now then, see that to me is critical to understanding the light and the dark. Because if I understand that, how come I constantly make that left turn and tend to get into the darkness again? See, I think the story's over, and we assume that that young man stayed and did everything he was supposed to. But I had an idea he had a tendency, just like I do, to continually kind of keep leaning back. Okay, and so what is it? What is it? Is it that we need to do to understand how do I how do I stay in the light? How do I keep seeking the light? I think here's the problem. I think the problem is that we set a pace far too slow. What do I mean by that? We set a pace far too slow. My favorite verse, sir, is this, Jeremiah 12, 5. It says, if you have run with men and 
and they have worn you out, how do you expect to have your horses? He says that, Jeremiah 12, 5. I can read it for you if you don't believe me. If you run with men and they've worn you out, how do you expect to run horses? The second part of that same verse says this, and if you fall down in a time of peace, how will you stand up in the middle of the lions? If you're falling down, if you are, if you are living in darkness in a time of peace, how are you going to live in the light when the real when the real Struggles come, like that trooper. I, I sat there and I can't imagine that. I can't imagine not moving. I can't, I can't imagine that. What was his name again? Brad Wilson. Brad. So, what's your pace? Well, you can say, well, I, you know what, uh, it's impossible <coughs> to run with horses. And I believe God is saying, now you get it. You cannot run horses by yourself. See, a horse has four legs. I got two. A horse's maximum heart rate is 240 beats a minute. Mine is about 140 beats a minute. He's got 100 extra beats and two extra legs. <laughs> so how do you do that? You do that by living in the light and the one who stretched the universe out and standing in his hand. You do that by disciplining yourself to his way. What does he mean by that? My second favorite verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24. Now, I don't know if you should go around repeating this, particularly in the schools, because it's very un-American. It says this. Do you not know that all those people that run in a race, they all run. But only one person wins. Tell that to your team. Okay? Because it tells them how they need to do it. It says, if you want to win, you've got to do three things. First off, you have to have a purpose. <coughs> that goes back to me, to the horses and stuff. What's, what is your purpose? Are you, if you are living the life, God has given you a purpose. He has given you gifts. And what are the gifts? How has he gifted you? What does he want in you? Where is the direction he wants you to go? I, when I, I started the first day of class in my brother community college, and I asked the kids, how many of you have a goal? They had goals. All right, how many of you had a goal to graduate from high school? And they hold up their hand. And then they start taking it down. Why? Because they already graduated from high school. What, you know, there's a difference between goals and purpose. And, and in this verse, God is speaking about what's your purpose? That's what he talks about. If you want to run the win, you have to have a purpose. See, if your goal is to graduate from high school, and then you want to go do this, and you want to do this, and you want to do this, and you want to do this, then your goals are shooting all over the place. But if your goals are lining up, I want to graduate from high school. Then I want to go to college. Then I want to get a job using the gifts that God has given me, using the talents that God's given me. If you're handy with your hands, maybe it's some purpose of, of making and doing those things. What is the purpose? What is, so discover what that's what he talks about, first Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to win. Because then the second thing he says is this: that you have to have a target. You don't just shadow box. 
I remember when I was in high school, we would practice football, and they would have these big, soft dummies, and we would practice blocking dummies. That was pretty easy, and we were pretty okay. We won quite a few games. Then I came to Pittsburgh, and I'm looking around as I'm walking out on the practice field the first time for the dummies. <laughs> the dummies were called Joe Green, <laughs> Kelsey Greenwood and Dwight White. You got pretty good practicing against those dummies. Because guess what? They did that. That's what it means there. Discipline yourself, not against something that doesn't move, but have a target. You have a goal, a long purpose purpose, and then you have a target. And then the last thing he says there, he uses the word discipline. And the word, I kind of like to do this because it really helps me. The word when he's talking about discipline here, he says discipline still hurts. And the word is it's a Greek word, but it starts out, this will be on the test. You got your picture. Uh, it starts out and it's spelled A-G-O-N-I-Z. What's it sound like it's going to be? And then to make it Greek, it, it ends up with O-M-A-I. See, the Greeks have to have, they end up with a lot of stuff, O-M-A-I. <laughs> now it's Greek. Okay. But it started out, it was agonized. And then it says, but this is really a sandwich. Okay, we're using something physical so that you would understand something spiritual. Because it says, they do this, these people that run, they do it for something that perishes. But what I want you to do is apply the same thing to your spiritual life, to something that doesn't perish. And Paul writes in Colossians, he's speaking about a man named Epaphras. And he says this. He says Epaphras, and he uses that same word, agonizes in prayer for you. I don't think that means. Have you ever agonized in prayer? <clears throat> I don't think that means if we're going to pray for that group that we need to get nails and glass down so that it hurts us when we pray. But I think what it means is I can't imagine. I no, I can't imagine. Because what I do at work is I work with people that have those problems. <coughs> I have a 22 year old man, young boy. I don't even think he shaves when I look. I see nothing but teach folks. But nine months ago, he dove in a swimming pool. And like that, he became a Christian. So when you pray for someone like Jacob or pray for someone like Brad, does it, can you feel? You know, does God, is he giving you the, can you feel that? Is this something that, you, and how do you do that? Well, we know how to do something physically. God's saying, apply that to your spiritual life. How, so the question is this. It comes down to, really, how much of God do you want? And I'm saying that, John. I mean, how much of God do you want? Do you want to live in light? Then you want, then you want all of God. That he said, give me more. Give me more. How much, how much of it do you want? I think it's really how... Do you share Christ? 
Jesus, one of my favorite places again in the Bible, when we talk about favorite things, but one of my favorite places, if I could be anywhere in the Bible, I would be John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, what happens? Jesus has been crucified. He comes back to land, and then and the apostles have seen him, I think, three times. And Peter, they're just kind of disorganized. Peter says, I can relate to this. I'm going fishing. I do that sometimes. When I don't know anything else to do. I'm going fishing. Jesus did that. He went off to a quiet place to be alone. And in that process, being in a quiet place to be alone, they fish all night. They don't catch any fish. And in the morning, there's this guy, this stranger. I, the dynamics of this, I, I just can't just read it, but the dynamics of it lie out like this. This guy on the shore says, don't catch anything. Now, what would you do? I know what you're doing in the back row there. What do you mean, uh, not catch anything? You know, I, you've been asleep all night. I've been here, my feet, my fingers are getting all wet and wrinkly and stuff. I've got hooks in them and nets tied around me and stuff like that. And then, but he hollers out, no, I didn't catch anything. He said, put your net on the other side. They put their net on the other side. What happens? Catch all the fish. Now, I love this. Because, see, Peter is kind of a football player. This has happened before. He still doesn't get it. Right? It's John that says, wait a minute, this happened before. That's the Lord. But see, typically, what happens? And, I, and which one of these people are you? John figures it out, but doesn't do anything. See, that always happens. The, a few days before that, John and Peter were running to the, to the, uh, where Jesus was buried, to the little cave thing. Who won the race? John won the race. But can you imagine running and he gets to the tomb and stops? He doesn't go on. Doesn't that strike you as strange? Why were you running then? You got there first and you didn't go in. See, I'm convinced if you find, if you meet Peter, he's got a lump right up here. Because Peter was running so fast, man, you know, he didn't even duck. Why do I think that? Because Peter's the one that got out of the boat. Thought he could walk on water. Well, at least now they're fishing, and Peter has realized that he can't walk on water. So the Bible says he throws, when John says it's the Lord, he throws himself into the water. See, that's significant. Are you willing to throw yourself in the water for the Lord? He looked pretty stupid then. Sometimes we need to look stupid, I think. Are you willing to do that? Oh my gosh, I'm excited about this. Don't even think. Go. It's the Lord. And the cool thing about this, it says that Peter swam back to the shore, and Jesus and Peter were having a charcoal fire of fish. And all the intelligent people said, where'd they get the fish? Because they were still bringing them back. They were up from the 500 that he fed just a few days before that. He kept some, so he'd have some from that heat for the thing. That's for, well, I don't know where he got the But they were eating fish on the charcoal fire. Okay? And they were sitting around this, this campfire. I got to do that, oh my gosh, about a month ago. One of the, uh, 
one of our friends had a ministry, Leo Wisniewski, it's called Whitefields. And we had this father-son retreat. You need to come to it next year. And it's up in your other camp. Uh, that is a really cool camp. Because you can go walk climbing. You don't have to have someone like pick up the zip lines and all this stuff. And we were, the kids had caught trout that night. And they caught some more the next morning. And before the church service, I said, we were having fish for breakfast. It was awesome. Can you imagine having fish with Jesus? And everybody's dry except Peter. He's wet. They had to be saying, there you are, Peter. You just wanted to stay in the boat. And Peter says, I don't want to run with the horses. I don't want to run with you now. I want to stand up when it's a time of, of intensity. Because Peter had failed before. When the lions come, this time I'm standing up. See, that's what his commitment was. And Jesus really kind of wanted to know that because he said, Peter, do you love me? That's a tough thing. For you. <coughs> that's a tough thing. Let man come out, don't you? May. No, I can't even start taking pictures and stuff. Well, I'll tell you, people say to me, May, you miss playing the game. You know what I miss? I miss Donnie Shell knocking on my door at 6.30 in the morning and saying, oh, as long as you're up, we're having Bible study. Might as well come on down. Well, Donnie, I wasn't up till you woke me up. <laughs> I miss. See, James Dobson doesn't have it right. He says men won't talk to each other. Well, that's because in the dark world, men are afraid that somebody's going to stick in the back. But in the light world, men trust. And one of the coolest things about our, our group of guys, and I can just name is that there was this wonderful trust. And, and, and it was a light world. And guys were sharing. That's what I miss about it, is having that real, that real sharing, that real trust. Tough guys that would just say, hey, Pray for me. I am really struggling with this. Leo was one of the, he wasn't even on our team, one of the ones I can uh, mention that. So, what do we do? I got to coach uh, high school football, my youngest son, and uh, I noticed something they do in high school football that uh, it's different. We don't do that. They were probably not even do it in England. Uh, and, 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 and here's what it was. It kind of came back. It started when I was a kid growing up, again, in Oklahoma. Bud Wilkinson was the head coach. And they asked him, when he was the head coach, he said, you know, like, kind of a funny question, but what's your definition of football? And he said, football is 40 young men running around on a field, football field, desperately in need of rest, being watched by 40,000 people up in the stands, just for me to exercise. <laughs> and I think, in a sense, our definition of Christianity is kind of the same thing. Where are you at? And again, when I was coaching football in high school, I noticed they did something a little different because they make this round thing. They have this big round thing. It's made out of uh, this uh, kind of hollow and they put paper on it. And then they paint a picture of whoever the other team is, the mascot. 
And so the kids go out just like we did, and they warm up, and then they jump up and down when they come out. And I'm thinking, what's this jumping up and down for? Because what it's for is they're right at the end of the goal, lot, the goal post there, they're fixing to run through that paper thing. Okay? But before you run through the paper thing, you've got to jump up and down with the ball. And then when they've had enough jumps, and I don't know how many that is, but all of a sudden it's like a bunch of birds there, they all take off. And they run through that paper thing. And in the three years I coached my son's high school football team, we never failed to break the paper thing. <laughs> we broke that paper. Every week they break that paper thing. And after a while I began to notice something really a little bit strange. To me it was strange. Because here's what I noticed. Some of the kids, that was the big night. I mean, the big thing in the night was to run through that paper thing. And particularly, it was really cool if they had something like the paper would get caught in the face mask, and that kid would trip, and the other kid would stuff. That would happen every once in a while, too. But it was always the same kids running through the paper thing. And then you know what they would do when they'd get to the sideline? They would unbutton their chin strap. They would take their helmet off, and they would get down on one knee and watch the guys that really didn't care about running through the paper thing. They would watch those guys run down their chin So what do you want to do? You want to run as a Christian, as a believer. Are you happy and content? See, there's a lot of different levels. You can sit up in the stands. Or, or you, I mean, you could even put a shirt on and wear your shirt. You know, watch it on TV. You can go early and watch it warm up. See, or, or you can even get down there and warm up and then run through the paper thing. But the Bible uses the term and, and it's translated, I translate it this way. Kind of, kind of interesting. We didn't have any things where we ran through paper things. We didn't jump up and touch anything. I see a lot of guys in high school, they got to jump up and touch something. You know, we wanted to touch something. You know, we wanted to have a collision. We wanted to be collision experts. See, that's what football's about, being a collision expert. And, and so the Bible puts it this way. Over and over again, it says, gird up your loins. That means if you're going to run down on the kickoff, you got to, in, in our vernacular, it was buckle your chin strap. If you're going out on the horses, you got to buckle your chin strap. If you're going to, if you're going to stand up in the middle of the lines, you got to buckle your chin straps. It's our decision, but I believe the one leads to darkness and the other one leads to light. And light leads to joy. It leads to fulfillment. See, when we take those risks, then the, then the outcome are those. Peace, joy, fulfillment, the fruit of the Spirit. If we want to just happy to be content to sit in the stands, you know, worry when they turn the lights off. Because eventually the game's over and the lights are turned off. Where is it? <coughs> you pray with me? Father, thank you for the light of this day. Thank you for the just the love of this community and, and this uh, church, the embrace which they've given me. Lord, I pray that the words that um, the 
words that were shared today were, were your words that come from your scripture. Lord, I pray you'd move these words from our head to our heart, that we might be willing to not only just uh, run with men, but we would desire to gird up our loins, to buckle with a chin strap, and set the pace of running with the horses. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn is number 45.